Hello and welcome to Once Upon a Roll, a D&D podcast hosted by me, Rasputin, where I run a one-on-one session of D&D 5th edition in the kingdom of Cortia, a setting I've been using for the past five or so years. Each episode is a different guest and in a different place. So if you didn't catch the other ones, that's probably fine. You'll most likely be able to figure out what's going on in this one. Although this is one of the rare occurrences where I have a returning guest to reprise a previous role. So while I will get into what happened during their session, it might be worth going back to listen to that episode. That guest, of course, is Mitch Kramer. How you doing, Mitch? Hey, uh, I'm doing all right. Quite early, but we'll get there. Yeah, in fake people time, it is early. It's the first time zone in the world, but sure. <laughs> oh, shit, <laughs> shit. Uh, you're, you're back to play as Blister. Yeah, reprising the role of the boy. Your third time on the show, second character, you'll be playing Blister. So if, if you'd like to know what happened in Blister's first adventure, the episode is called Blister in the Dun. I'm still <laughs> proud of that name. I think I'm so happy with it. <laughs> it's a very good name. Um, of, of course, as I said before, I will be recapping what happened in that one. So you will not be super lost if you just start here, but also it's a good episode. So you should listen to it. Oh yeah, yeah, right? definitely. Listen to all my yeah. content. <laughs> Absolutely. Mitch, this is where I ask if you've played D&D before. It's where I ask if you've played a one-on-one session of D&D before. What do you want to talk about instead of that? Because we've done it multiple times. We know the answer. Uh, You've played with me many times in a campaign. You've played on this show multiple times. You're the reason this podcast really even started, because you asked me to run a one-on-one session for you. Uh, But but tell (laughs) me, what do you want to talk about? Oh, oh God. Put on the spot here. Yeah, I was expecting to talk about how weird it is that this is a sequel and I haven't done this before. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I've done one sequel for Renas, oh, Brian's yeah, character. Dear. I thought I, uh, I thought I was getting in there first. I forgot about Renas. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow, real fan. <laughs> the thing about a character like Renas is that character is m- much more episodic, right? His adventures are like, hey, I'm in this weird place and now I'm in a new mm-hmm. weird place. Where this is far more of a continuation of the last one. Yeah, it's like a direct sequel instead of a... What's the word? It's not episodic. I mean, that is one of the words, but I can't think right now. What is it? Like seven in the morning for you? What the hell? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so, so it'll be interesting to kind of see see how that goes. I don't want to say much more. You don't know what the session's about. We haven't played yet, so uh, you know I don't want to spoil anything. <laughs> but in the third act, that is the moment that Blister is going to get wings. Oh my god. You know, instead of uh, giving fake teasers, why don't we just play? Let's jump into this episode of Once Upon a Roll. The kingdom of Cortia has thrived for over a thousand years. In that time, it has endured war against powerful enemies, outlasted deadly feuds between its lords, and fought against evil both of this plane and others. However, during the most recent festival of the autumn sun, the sage's ritual revealed a nearly forgotten omen the sign of Black Sun, a symbol only seen once before and it almost led to the destruction of Cortia. Panicked, the common folk in the capital city rioted, and when the dust settled, the king was dead, and his two children had disappeared in the night. The lord of the city of Edgewood, Tom Dunn, restored peace to the capital, and with no heirs of the king anywhere to be seen, he decided to sit the throne and take the position of Lord Regent. This story picks up almost a month after the events of the festival, with you riding your horse alongside the brother of the Lord Regent, Barden Dunn. 
After graduating from the Venture Academy in the great city of Malison, you sailed halfway across the world on the orders of the headmaster to sell your services in the kingdom of Cortia, which is how you found yourself in Edgewood and eventually under the employ of Barden. You've earned his trust over the past year, and what started as accompanying and protecting him on nights where he drank far beyond his means has turned into essentially being his go-to man. When something needs doing, you are the one he asks to do it. About a week ago, he sent you on a private job to follow a lead, one that had the whereabouts of Ava Bennett, the princess of Cortia who was kidnapped during the Festival of the Autumn Sun. Barton suspected it was a false lead, but he wanted you to investigate it nonetheless. There, instead of a princess, you found a woman named Serial, a member of what you now know to be a crime syndicate known as The Corners. After you bested her in combat, she not only convinced you to let her live, but also that there was far more money to be earned by helping her organization, and that the Duns were on both the wrong and losing side of the current conflict in the kingdom. And so you agreed to become her spy, carrying out the tasks you always have, but also sending information that may be interesting to them and their cause. And so when you returned to Barton, you told them nothing of Serial and said that the lead you had been following was just another dead end. And now the sun beats down on you. It isn't an overly hot day, but for this late in autumn, it is different than what you've grown used to. After Barden's failed negotiations with the Lord of South Fariff, you've been traveling east back to Edgewood. It's been a few days of hard travel, so Barden thought it best to let the horses and men rest a bit. So they made camp in a nice little grove and have been relaxing for a little while now. However, you were excluded from that rest, as early in the morning he came to you to ask for your help in a matter. And so that brings us back to you two riding on horses alongside each other. Uh, you want to describe Blister, what he looks like right now on this horse riding next to Barden? So he is a tall half-orc with fangs protruding from his bottom lip, disheveled kind of hair, very proper outfit since he is, you know, with the duns, big plate armor, um, and a giant greatsword that he carries with him. Yeah, your clothing would all be Dun stuff. So you'd have like the swirling tree of the Duns on whatever shirt you would wear over your plate. Yeah. Not exactly a shirt, but you know. <laughs> an over an over shirt. Uh, yeah. So it just looks massive because of this big plate armor with a shirt on top of it. He's green, both in skin and uh, kind of way he holds himself. He does have a resting, angry face, but you can tell he's still kind of new and everything he's doing. Riding alongside Barden, you're certainly taller than him. Hold yourself probably like, you know, straighter back, <laughs> better form, a more imposing figure next to him. He's not quite like slouched over, but definitely, you know, he needs to do a shoulder check probably a little more often. Uh, Barden, you know, you've been with him a while and frankly, in certain ways, you're like, oh, this is kind of the best he's looked. <laughs> he's always kind of been a bit disheveled, not caring super much about his appearances, always wearing like fine clothes and robes and whatnot, but a lot of them ill-fitting, uh, sometimes too loose or just too tight. Like, it's like he has, whether it's that he's purchasing his clothes himself or just being given them, you know, because he's the brother of a lord, he has nice things, but doesn't really spend the time to see what actually looks nice on him. <laughs> A little haphazard in that way. 
Uh, today, though, he is wearing what looks to be a well-tailored robe, and it doesn't even have any wine stains on it. He has his hair, which is usually a bit of a mess, kind of knotted in the back. It's not super long hair, but long enough to be able to put it in a little knot, and that's what he does here to keep it out of his face. And he has a decent bit of a five o'clock shadow. You know, for a while he didn't shave all that much at all, but recently he seems to be trying to take that sort of thing up on the road to maybe just uh, look a little more professional while he's, you know, being asked to meet with other lords of Cortia on his brother's behalf. But yeah, the two of you ride along on a dirt road. Uh, all he has told you so far is that he has a favor that he needs of you and to grab a horse. So you've kind of just been riding in silence for a couple minutes as you've moved away from the camp. I guess I would... Uh... Give him the, give him a once of a look, you know, taking the fact that he does look clean and a lot nicer and sort of ask, so what's the occasion? He uh, gives you a look and then kind of like looks down at himself <laughs> a bit. Like, well, we're only a few days from Edgewood and Tom has been in the capital for a while. Uh, my brother Lennon is on ships with the Cortian Navy and... I might be one of the only things that people there see as a leader right now. So Tom said I should look uh, as good as I can when I eventually do get back into town. So trying that out a bit. Well, it's a weird look on you, but it works. You see him give like a little half smile. Just kind of keeps riding uh, like a small like trot. Uh, not going too fast. Well, your armor looks as armor as ever. You wear that most of the time. Doesn't it get uncomfortable? Yeah, but... The more I wear it, the more used to it I'll get. So try and just wear it as much as possible. And you never know what's going to happen. Got to keep it on me. Gives a little nod. Makes sense. Well, we'll be riding for a little while, so might as well, you know, get to know each other a bit more than we have. I feel like, you know, you, you, we, you've been around for a while, but we, we don't talk all that much. I don't, I don't know all that much about your time in Malison and... What academy did you say you went to? The Vinciere Academy. Was your time nice there? Yeah, I mean, it's a great academy. Um, learned everything that I know, so, you know, I can't say anything bad about it, but it is still an academy at the end of the day. Does anyone really enjoy their time at an academy, you know? More so as they just get something out of it. He gives a bit of a shrug. I always wanted to go to... Uh... Academy. I wanted to go to the University of Odrill, but they uh, denied my entry from the school. Uh, so everything I know is self-taught. Any particular reason you got denied? Um, I. He kind of gives a long look. There are many reasons I could point to. Um, it could just be that I wasn't good enough at the time that I applied to be a student there. Uh, it could also be that the headmaster of the academy hated my father, and I think the idea of having any done children there uh, was not exactly something he'd be interested in. Uh, but that's mostly what I told myself to not feel bad about not getting in. So do with that what you will. Well, for what it's worth, I don't think you needed the academy or the university. Rather, you're doing just just fine without it. Well, it's nice when 
you have a rich father who can buy books and get tutors to teach you things you want to know. Mm. I learned various things of the arcane and really everything I, I know, I guess I've learned from books. Yeah. Just imagine that, but in a place with a bunch of other people you don't really get along with. Some you do, but it's all the same. As long as you let in. Tell me about the first person you killed. He asks this without like, you know, any sort of hesitation or like, like maybe this is a weird question. He just asks. Well, about that. I'm still uh, new at all this. So that's, uh, it's not a part of the job I've seen yet. I had to experience. He uh, gives you a look like that. He doesn't believe you. Like that's just kind of like look on a face, like very quizzical. And he kind of like gives a long, a long look at you, kind of trying to read you. Uh, look at me hiring a bodyguard who hasn't even killed someone. Don't. Goodness. Don't need to. Yeah. <laughs> he gives a little smile. At least not yet, thankfully. Why? What's it like? Does it change you? Oh, I've never killed someone either. Or never killed someone myself. No. I would like to insight that. That is a 16. You know, from your time with Barden in general, he seems to kind of always keep the same tone, you know, act kind of in the same way. You would assume in general he's kind of a hard-to-read guy. You've never noticed him lying, so even though you've been around him a lot, you don't necessarily know his mm -hmm. tells, or if he has tells, he just kind of always has an even tone. This seems to be in line with his typical even tone. Okay. okay. And uh, also, I guess what you would notice is, like, as he says the, like, never done it myself there does seem to be like remorse kind of in his voice okay i've certainly killed things before uh my father would take my brothers and i hunting uh, edgewood the forest itself is full of monsters and and well most are handled by guards and you know adventurers and whatnots my father thought it important for us to be seen protecting the city from danger so He'd have me and my brothers go and fight and kill big things. Uh, bring them back, have big trophies. Oh, yeah. I mean, I went to the academy. Yeah, I've killed things, but nothing that you could be calling a people or a person. Just interesting to know. Learn new things every day. Mm. Well, hoping to hold off for the learning of killing someone, at least for a little while. That's fair. So, uh, what are, what are, what are we writing for? You gonna have me kill someone right now? Well, if the need arises for it, but no, I was just curious. Okay. Um, right now we are. He like pauses, then gives you a look. I need to drop something off. I need to put it somewhere in a place uh, for some people to find it, and uh, it will lead to positive business for me and my family as time moves forward okay do you need more than that it's fine just you know the early morning writing and the sudden question about killing someone i was just wondering where this day was gonna go i'm just making conversation you you know you have a great sword on your back i assumed that killing people was you know a thing you do for sport i don't know what it's like in malison i know there's a great coliseum there i figured you know you don't get out of the city without killing someone. Well, maybe some people don't, but I was just in and out of school. So 
my time there wasn't the most exciting. Fair enough. Have you ever been in love? No. Uh, I love my work. Ugh. <laughs> he just keeps riding like <laughs> he kicks the horse and goes a little faster. I don't keep up with him. <laughs> yeah, he just gets a little bit ahead and uh, is riding. Although that would prompt Blister to think about his meeting with um, Corners Girl Serial. I'm pretty sure that would be like one of the few women outside of the academy that he's interacted with. Yeah, I mean, I guess you pretty much were on a ship. You, you know, you grew up. I imagine uh, Blister doesn't remember much of his life before the academy. No, because he was sent away quite young. Would have met a few people maybe on the ship to Cortia. Maybe a few people on the road to Edgewood. But for the most part, most of your interactions have been quiet ones standing alongside Barton as uh, oftentimes he's doing something a little embarrassing because he's drunk. <laughs> <laughs> Up until recently where it's been more of a slight army-esque stuff. Yeah, Blister doesn't have a love life, I guess. Blister doesn't have much of a life. He's kind of a work nerd. <laughs> kind of, kind of a, oh yeah, I love my work. Uh, after a little while, Barton kind of looks back and then points ahead uh, you see a little pathway kind of veering into a more wooded area. He says, it's this way. And, uh, you know, goes off of kind of the main path that two of you are on and down that instead. To veer off and follow him? Yeah. He kind of, at this point, like the trail is thinner, so you're kind of single file. He's uh, riding along. So do you have any siblings, brothers, sisters? Maybe. I mean, I don't really remember much of my time before going to the academy because I was sent away quite young. So anyone I would consider family are the people I met at the academy. You know, those are my siblings, really. In name more than blood. And do all people train under the sword there like you? Or is it all sorts of folks from mages to druids to... I mean... There's classes for everything, you know, just I was mostly training with under sword users. Um, even then, you know, you have different groups of people for different kinds of swords. So, and, you know, we would sometimes cross over training. So you're not just sparring with fellow great sword users, but for the most part, you just teach uh, a taught under what you want to learn or what the academy thinks is best for who you are and who you might become. So most of the people I spent a lot of time with were other great sword users. And you couldn't even find someone to fall in love with there. What a shame. And he just kind of <laughs> keeps riding along. While we are doing all this riding, Hey, I would just like to be making mental notes of where we're going constantly okay roll an intelligence check ah uh, yes no modifier mm -hmm. 11 <laughs> 11 okay as you're going and following a few things you're kind of like okay i feel like i recognize some of this and some of these pathways and some of this way through you do recognize you know with an 11 that you're like I don't know that I'd remember kind of every 
path and like sideway that it goes, you know, because there are kind of veering paths every once in a while. And it does look like a wooded area. <laughs> um, and and uh, some paths kind of loop back around on each other and around themselves. You get the sense like it'd be a lot to memorize. So if it is a place you wanted to revisit or remember better, you'd probably want to do something other than just like think about it real hard. Hmm. What are my abilities? I don't think I have anything. So I'm not going to pull out a notepad in front of Barton. Oh, man. You can tell I'm not used to playing fighters when I went to my actions to look at my spells. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to have to cop having a very wishy-washy memory on this one for, for now. Okay. Yeah. Um, the two of you continue to ride along, uh, you know, making various chit chat. He continues to ask you the occasional question just about your past and talk some about his life uh, every once in a while. Usually slightly bitter things about his late father, uh, <laughs> bitter things about his brother Lennon and the occasional kindness towards his brother Tom. And yeah, continues to ride along. It's hard to fully see the sun at this point. You know, you are covered by trees. It seems pretty high in the sky. You imagine it's getting early afternoon by now. After a little while, you pass into what looks to be like a little clearing. Um, there's just like kind of an oval-shaped um, space without any trees. In it is like a little pond where at the moment nothing really seems to be drinking from it. But you imagine animals at occasion come here to drink at the watering hole and whatnot. Um, but yeah, seems pretty empty at the moment. And Barden kind of pulls on the horse to stop it and dismounts from it. As we're sort of, you know, getting off our horses and stuff, I asked uh, Barden, this this place is amazing. Uh, how did you find it? Uh, it's in the instructions I was given. Right. It's not all that far from where I grew up. I mean... It's a little bit out of the way, but it's it's not all. We're not all that far from Edgewood at this point, so I, I know the area decently well. And yes, okay. I, these were the instructions I was given. Instructions, huh? Yes, even brothers of lords get instructions sometimes too. He uh, reaches into a bag. You see his arm like go further down it than what makes sense, <laughs> uh, and he pulls his arm out, and there's a shovel, and he hands it to you. I need you to dig me a hole. Um, there and he kind of points to the very center of this clearing uh how deep how wide uh you see him reach his hand in the bag again and pull out another thing this is a parcel it's probably about like one foot by one foot so decently sized um so enough to bury this convincingly okay uh sorry i had to google what one foot is um <laughs> it's a third of a meter by a third of a meter <laughs> Uh, yeah, okay. I guess I can do that. I I will dig a, th a three by three foot hole, I guess. Okay. Yeah, roll just an athletics check. Oh, I forgot my athletics is so good. Watch me roll terribly. Okay, that's an 18. Okay. As you start digging, Barton kind of leans against a tree, pulls out like a journal and is writing a few things in it puts that in his pocket. You see him pull out another book that's always kind of attached to his belt. 
you've seen it a handful of times. You've never really seen him use it, but you just assume it's his spell book as there are arcane sigils written over it. And he seems to be reading over something and it closes it and puts it back down. The hole does not take you that long to dig. It's a little like <laughs> this would be a lot easier without wearing plate, but you know, you're, you're getting used <laughs> to it. You got, <laughs> you got to get used to that plate somehow, but you know, the whole, the whole digs easily enough. Probably takes like 15, 20 minutes to get through. You're not all that tired after doing it. Uh, it's like kind of the perfect weather to have to do any sort of gardening adjacent <laughs> <laughs> activity. Yeah. He uh, looks over at you when you like put the shovel down, uh, indicating you're done. Seems a little surprised with how quick you were. And like, oh, good. Mm. He uh, walks over and sets the parcel in the hole. So I I can't tell what it is. Can I? It's just like this roll. I'm gonna say perception because you're probably not trying to get like Mm -hmm. super close. Oh, twenty three. Nice. Yeah. So as you look at it, you it seems the best way you can put it. Like it, it is wrapped in like some sort of parcel paper almost and it is box shaped it seems like this is wrapped around a box that most likely is holding something you kind of try to listen for like any like you know is it gold pieces (laughs) (laughs) like anything like that uh you do not necessarily hear any like jingle of something you know or like things bouncing against each other sounds like and looks like it's just a solid thing <laughs> I would say not necessarily. Okay. It just doesn't sound like there are tons of loose things in there. Okay. Especially loose things that make a lot of noise. Okay. As he puts it down, I'll just say, anything else? Or is this it? Uh, gotta bury it, but yeah, that's it. All right. Stop <laughs> putting the dirt back in the hole. <laughs> I guess. Do you mind if I ask who's this for? He uh, gives you a long look. Uh... Roll a persuasion check. Ooh, 17. It's, um, I won't go into detail, but there's an organization my father used to work with on occasion. They, they do many things, but they're best known for killing people is ultimately what it is. They can kill the right people in the right place. And my hope is that, uh, they will be able to help uh, with that for us. Okay. Wars can end in ways that aren't hundreds and thousands of men on a battlefield. Maybe we can end one before it even starts, before anyone uprises. Would I know who he's talking about? You can roll a history check. Uh, <laughs> oh, no modifier. <laughs> that is a one. I have no <laughs> idea. <laughs> uh, what I'll say is like, you know, you grew up in the city of Mallison, which is the biggest city in the world. Like you have heard stories of organizations like this. You know, you, you've obviously met someone from the corners who seems more like a crime syndicate. Of course, murder is probably on the menu <laughs> for them, you know, even though they're not necessarily dedicated to it you wouldn't necessarily know a specific one. You would imagine that there's not just one organization like this uh, in, in the world. You definitely have no idea about <laughs> one in Cortia. That would be this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, fair enough. Uh, you're trying to get killed. Well, that part is not your concern. <laughs> it's just like internally, just like, look, push that too far. As I'm digging, digging my little hole. 
or undigging a hole, I guess. Yeah. I'll just silently finish this off because inside Blister is very afraid of like uncovering his actual work at this point. Mm-hmm. Once you finish burying the box, Barton holds up a hand. You see him mouth something under his breath, and then a few sparks kind of shoot up in the sky, like a little above the clearing, and then dissipate. All right, that should be enough for the signal. Um, you good to go? You ready to ride some more? Uh, just a second. <clears throat> um, and I will go through whatever pack I prepared on the horse and get out first some water as like my cover for what I'm trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and would I carry a notepad? I guess I would. I imagine you would have parchment largely for the sole purpose of being able to write letters back to the Venture Academy with like Blister here. I made 1,000 gold uh, this quarter, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Here, here, yeah. uh, For sending that kind of letter. Now, in that case, I wouldn't try and sneakily write something down while we're writing. But on the way back, so I'm just going to grab some water and then sort of mentally prepare to take note (laughs) of the directions we take um, from here back to camp. Okay. And how are you doing that? Internally, like, he is, like, just repeating it. So he's like, okay, so it's like a left from the trees and then straight and then right. You know, like, just running that through. Okay. So no, like, writing, no anything. You're just, like, trying to memorize it as best you can. Yeah, yeah. All right. The two of you start riding out. Um, make an intelligence check. No. 14. 14. Okay. You are able to remember a lot of it, kind of trying to repeat it over and over again. You feel somewhat confident in your ability here to remember, but not fully. <laughs> you know, every <laughs> once in a while, you're like, wait, was it right, left? Uh, so you feel pretty confident. You like, there is certainly a part of you where it's like, if there was something more I could do to bolster this sort of thing somehow, that'd be, that'd probably make it so I'd be able to remember fully. Mm-hmm. But yeah. He fell into the spy game. He wasn't trained for it. Yep. And I'm just as silent as possible for this ride, as you can imagine. Got it. <laughs> just trying to like, remember. yeah. Uh, Barden is still like asking questions though. <laughs> Uh, which is probably part of why like there is some of that doubt, you know, cause you're trying to like go through it quickly in your head and remember every little zig and zag and break from the path and like, Oh, what is the actual path? What is just like a deer track kind of going on? You know, <laughs> there, there's a lot going on. And then Barden's asking questions like, tell me about sharpening swords. Like <laughs> I was never much of a sword guy myself. That was always my brother's things. Like, do you ever worry about like cutting your hand? You know, just like <laughs> questions that are probably somewhat distracting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Minimal brain power on the responses here. It's like, mm-hmm. I was well trained. Okay. <laughs> and then, yeah, eventually you kind of break out back to the main road and start riding back to the camp. Hey, how far from 
the camp to this like little pathway, was it? This was certainly the longest part. You know, you were going through the path, like at least distance wise, right? This is the longest part. Mm -hmm. The path you went on took a while to get through just because it's like a wooded path, (laughs) uh, which is a little bit harder to get through. Um, You would say a few miles. Okay. Making making this nuts <laughs> mentally. Yeah. As you, you know, start to reapproach the camp, uh, Barden says, I, I appreciate the help. Uh obviously what we talked about and not not all of it, I suppose, but what we talked about at the clearing. Uh I have your discretion. Of course. Give him the like little nod. Well. Enjoy the rest of your day off. Oh, I will try my best. <laughs> He dismounts, you know, hands the reins to uh, some attending who's like kind of there waiting. He's like, oh, <laughs> yes, Master John. Yes, yes. And he's like, shut up. <laughs> Stop. And like just keeps walking through and goes to his tent. I wouldn't have it in my own tent, would I? It'd be like a... You have, I'd say you have your own tent. I mean, especially for someone so tall, like, you know, your feet are probably hanging out a bit. <laughs> you definitely have your own tent. Yeah. Though. I am going to get on my tent with all my stuff, take it all off the horse. And I will, as best as I can, write down the directions on that parchment that I have been memorizing. Okay. Roll an intelligence check again. <laughs> Twelve. Okay. Uh, yeah, you, you write it down. There are certainly a few parts where you're like, you're like, oh, I'm a little iffy on this, you know, um, your confidence is not a hundred percent. What I will say is you are kind of like at the same time, maybe if I see it, you know, it'd be easier. You feel like this is a better guide than, you know, nothing and mm-hmm. not have done, <laughs> been doing this. But between the two, you're, you're certainly not like, I mean, yeah, as you said, you fell into the spy games. <laughs> this is not your skill set. <laughs> you feel pretty good about what you got for your experience at this. But yeah, certainly you don't feel uh, 100% confident in it. After I do that, I'm going to pull out the sending sun to Serial and say, so I've got 25 words. Um, Barton dropped off a package in the woods I can send instructions or meet you today is my day off I think that fits okay uh there's no response for a little while um like a couple minutes and then you hear back can't meet today at night get package (sighs) await further instructions okay it's just a deep sigh of hoping they would not be asked of him, but expected. Well, guess I'm going back. So you said when we were leaving, or when we were in the clearing, it was like early afternoon. It'd be approaching evening at this point, yeah. And how long did it take on horseback? You know, it was a few hours. Like, the thing is, you kind of were riding light, you know. It, it was... A, a jaunt more than like uh, quick riding. So you get the sense on horseback you could do it faster. If you were trying to do it on foot, it depends how you want to go. You know, it definitely would be slower, but it's not like you were going breakneck speeds on horseback. For the time being, 
um, while the sun's still out, I'll, you know, eat around the camp and be minimally social. I don't chit-chat with other people who don't really seem to like him. <laughs> I mean, since getting back, a few things had happened, you know, before you left. You had gotten in a bit of a scuffle with a few of the done men before your mission. Um, <laughs> and really, you beat the shit out of them. Like, uh, most notably, Dallard, who seemed to be in a slight position of power. Um, he is still bruised, you know, nose broken, has like very much avoided you. A few of the men after that haven't necessarily treated mm-hmm. you with like kindness or friendship, but like a, a type of respect, whether it's like respecting your ability to fight or, you know, respecting the anger that you might be able to reach and not wanting to be on the other end of it. You don't really know, but uh, certainly a few more of the men who maybe would have just kind of ignored you before either, you know, all these men have lived in Edgewood their whole life and then served the, the Duns for a long while. So yeah, there was a lot of jealousy with many of them towards you, but you know, some who may not have given you the time of day before do have at least like slight small talk, you know, the amount of small talk probably that blister likes to have of just like, Oh, <laughs> chicken's done. Yeah. yeah. You know? I think this like situation of people being respecting, but distant is like the perfect situation for him. It's like a dream. <laughs> so what do you do? I don't imagine unless something happens in the time between getting back and him waiting out, you know, for the sun to go down. He would just sort of kill time. And then what is the layout of this camp? Like, where is my tent in relation to me not being in it anymore? (laughs) I guess I kind of assumed Blister would set it up further away from everyone else. Yeah, as far away as possible without it being suspicious. (laughs) You know, people... I feel like if he's just away from people, it wouldn't yeah, be that yeah. weird because he doesn't really talk to anyone anyway and is still cautious about getting into a scrap with someone. Uh, <laughs> so mm-hmm. on the outside, he definitely wouldn't have accounted for having to sneak off at night. So it's not like his tent's facing away, you know? <laughs> uh, it would still be facing in. Yeah. I'm trying to think if he would take his plate off for this. <laughs> Because he loves his plate. Um, I sort of would ask around camp, uh, is there anywhere to take a bath around here? Have a shower? Like, you know, wash myself? You would ask around. It seems like, as you kind of look around, during the day, um, you imagine that something a handful of the guys did uh, is try to clean off in some way. Uh, you do see, like, a big kind of basin of water, really like a tub of water that at this point <laughs> has been like it's, it's like you can't see you know it's like completely dirty because the guys have been using it and bathing in it you know as you ask around like where the water came from uh they say yeah there's a creek kind of down the way where they got some water and then came back and like boiled it to have some hot water well the water here's really gross so i'm gonna go to the creek and bathe and replenish my own water supply. Um, and that, that's kind of that. I don't know why <laughs> he's talking as if he had more to say, but that's what he's, he's telling people. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is the creek in the same way or the opposite way? The way that him and Barton rode earlier? It's not really the opposite way. It's like you rode east Mm -hmm. for the most part. Granted, the direction did change, you know, a handful of times. This seems more like southeast. So it's similar-ish directions. Did they say how far away the creek is? They would have said like a quarter of a mile. So pretty close. Enough where they were willing to carry like a big, like buckets of water and whatnot. But, you know, still a ways, definitely a little out of sight of the camp. Oh, yeah, that's definitely not far enough to ride a horse. I will head that direction. Okay. And on my way, grab but not mount a horse. Just like, not like stealthily, but very nonchalantly as if like this is a very normal thing to be doing right now. Yeah, as you grab it, like, Mm -hmm. you know, you don't have a stable exactly. Um, And there's definitely a horse that I imagine you've been using most of the time that like Barden hasn't said is your Mm -hmm. horse, but like no one else has been using it. (laughs) So it's kind of yours, but you don't own it, obviously, by any means, you know. (laughs) Again, there's not a stable, so there's not exactly a stable master, but the soldier who's been deemed the task of watching the horses and caring for them is like looks at you and is like, uh, what you doing? Oh, um, I'm going to go bathe and fill up my water and, you know, clean off, film up my stocks because the water here is very dirty. Um, so I just wanted to take my horse, you know, we had a big day together, make sure he gets looked after as well. Give him a little wash down. Yeah, roll a persuasion check. Oh, ho, 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 ho. A natural 20. Nice. <laughs> he kind of gives a look and nods you know seeming to think like yeah that's a nice thing to do horse is dirty like he looks over the horse and definitely is a little dirty and he'd be the one to have to clean it so (laughs) essentially if you're offering to you know he's like ah all right just make sure it's dark out if if your horse comes back with a broken ankle i'll never hear the end of it i'm not planning on uh on riding him it's not it's not too far to the creek so all right he turns back to one of the other horses you know and starts brushing it as he, as Blizzard turns away, he like physically mastered himself. Like, oh my god! Like, can't believe that worked. Yeah, just stunned, wide eyed. Like, holy shit! <laughs> Got away with it. <laughs> I'm a spy. <laughs> um, yeah, I would walk far enough in the general direction that by the time I actually mounted the hole, so it would, like no one could really see it, mm-hmm. and then head for the spot direction in hand and follow my own directions as best as I can. <laughs> okay. So you get out of sight and then like a hop on the horse and just like, yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah, just book it. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, you, you find a spot that you feel like is far enough away where you could start going and you probably, you know, start slow as to not be <laughs> like totally heard from a distance, but yeah, you start riding back the way you went. Are you going pretty fast? Not like, because it is dark, uh, as that guy said. Yeah. So not like full pace, but a bit more than the, you know, cantering we were doing before. Roll an animal handling check. Oh, shit. It's at 18. Yeah. So, you know, you're, you're riding along. The horse obviously cannot, you know, see everywhere it's going. But, you, you know, at this point, you've kind of bonded with this horse well enough, and it seems to trust you. As a rider, mm-hmm. and you know, you uh, as a half orc have some dark vision, so you've probably like, or, I mean, in general, you're paying very close attention, right, to everything in your surroundings to hopefully look for like the, yeah, you know, <laughs> to look for the turns that you have written down. 
uh, and whatnot. Um, so you, you do a good enough job of being able to lead the horse and like you are on a path at this point, Mm -hmm. you know, a pretty paved road, but yeah, you're, you're able to maneuver around any potential things that might be bad for the horse and, and yeah, uh, go at a pretty quick pace. Eventually you hit the spot where you recognize as like the turn into the more wooded area. It is like nighttime, right? It is like dark. It is nighttime yeah. at this point. Yeah. At this point, uh, any any light from the sun has faded and it is just nighttime. Okay. With dark vision, can you read in the dark? Never like, I don't think this has ever come up for me in all these years. <laughs> I would say like, it'd be hard to read. Okay. Not impossible, but it'd be hard. And, and yeah, certainly would probably make things more difficult for you. <laughs> I'm wondering if I have like matches and stuff and so well, you know. Yeah, I think you'd have a torch on you. Oh. You have a torch on you for sure. Oh hell yeah. Yeah, I'm pulling out my torch. Yeah, you uh light a torch for a second, like it just like <laughs> very bright as you've kind of gotten used to the darkness, but you're able to kind of hold it up and, and look at your notepad. Mm-hmm. I would begin writing through this like off the road path with the torch on going a lot slower this time mm-hmm. i'll try and match the pace of what what we were doing earlier just because it would be dangerous otherwise but the further in we get i would turn the torch off okay you put the light out after a little while yeah roll an animal handling check Ooh, is it 12 okay you're able to go and keep it under control for the most part I'll say when you get to the point where you're like, I'm going to snuff the torch for a bit, Mm -hmm. you feel like the horse has a pretty strong negative reaction to that. It's kind of like, I'm in a very cramped wooded area (laughs) and I can't see at all. It like kind of rears back. It doesn't follow your instructions as well. You get the sense that there's definitely more of a chance that something goes wrong with your horse if, uh, if you don't have the torch on. That would absolutely freak Blister out, so he turns the torch back on. (laughs) Yeah, you relight the torch, and yeah, continue to go. I'm going to have you make, as you're looking at your notes and looking around, Mm -hmm. first I want you to make a perception check. Hey, it was a 19. It was like on the corner. (laughs) Nice. Okay, with with the 19, you're kind of like cross-checking between your notes and the places you're looking around, you know, you probably tried to not just recognize turns, but a few like, ah, yes, the the stump, <laughs> you know, uh, and things like that. Uh, and you're kind of cross-checking. You feel pretty good. So you can make now as you're like going through your notes and figuring stuff out an intelligence check at advantage, which is kind of going to be the like, how well are you getting through this path? Uh-oh. So oh, oh, lucky it was an advantage. Uh, Seventeen. <laughs> Seventeen. Okay. You. Yeah. You. You continue along, and yeah, you are feeling good. The horse seems a little rattled because it's late. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they rode here already. Yeah. <laughs> probably a bit tired, uh, but you know, mostly under control, right? Especially with the light, being able to see it, and then you're kind of able to guide it well enough, and and you feel pretty confident in, in yeah where you're going. I need you to make another perception check. 17. Okay. So yeah, the first one was mostly just like trying to get in the lay of the land to see things you remember. This one though, is you looking around, listening, and in the distance you hear what sounds to be like 
the pulling of a bowstring. In that moment, he's like, thought again. Um, okay, I will slow down to stop. Um, did I really gauge the direction it was coming from? Or did I just like, kind of hear it? Yeah, you would say it's like about like 50 feet from like your left side. Okay. As you kind of probably do like a glance and see, you you do like there are a fair amount of trees. So you have, you feel like you have some cover. Maybe this is a, whoever is holding that bow is a good shot, but you do feel like it would be a hard shot to make. Okay. So you have that going for you at least. <laughs> I would like stop, look left and just say, I I wouldn't do that. A moment passes, and then in the path in front of you, uh, a man steps out onto the path. It seems to be away from where this archer was. Um, kind of steps in front. You see he's just wearing a bandana over his face. What are you doing here? Going out for a late night ride. What are you doing here? He does not answer. <laughs> I was trying to find a creek to wash myself and my horse in and... I think I got a little bit lost. See him kind of look you over, uh, and he definitely seems very fixated on the uh, tabard. Is that the shirt thing? Yeah. yeah. He's focused on your tabard uh, of, of the swirling tree uh, of, of the duns. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not a spy. I didn't think to take that off. <laughs> God damn it. Um, well, if you don't mind, I would like to continue to try and find my way out of here without the threat of someone trying to shoot me in the back. Can't just let you go. You work for the enemy. Wait a minute. Uh, you might have this wrong. Then, in that case. Yeah, like, look at my tabid. Do you, so you probably rightfully assume that I work for the Duns, right? Yeah, that's what I bloody assume. You're wearing a fucking Dun uniform. I, okay, okay. I'm, I... We... If they're your enemy, we might have something here then. Because while I am employed by them, I'm not exactly working for them. I give him like a look. I raise an eyebrow. He uh, <laughs> continues to look at you. Get off the horse. Look, I don't want any trouble here. And I'll get off the horse and just say, I think we might have more to talk about than you think. Uh, what's your passive perception? Uh-oh. 14. 14. Okay. You would notice from your right side, somebody kind of creeping towards you. You heard the bowstring far to your left, the guy standing in front of you, and then a noise of someone coming from your right. I will tell the guy in front of me, you guys aren't the most quiet people. Um, so I'm going to need your person over here. And I like point to the right. To, to slow down. He like freezes in his tracks. <laughs> the, the, the guy, you know, you don't even need to take a look over, but you do hear like his foot stop. <laughs> Thank you. You know, I think there's a conversation to be had if you're willing to hear me out. Yeah. Well, what do you have to say for yourself? Well, first of all, who are you guys? Yeah, you you attacked me, so. Or tried to attack me, but you're all very loud. We're freedom fighters. We only serve one king, and that's the Bennets. Okay, play a question. Mm-hmm. Would Blister know about the Bennets? 
what Blister would know about them, I mean, he would know the basics, right? That the king died during the Festival of the Autumn Sun and that his two kids have not been seen since. And and what you would know are rumors that Barden had kind of talked about and had you follow, right, of the location of the daughter, Ava, but yeah, nothing of the son. Okay. Of course, like the lead you came up with was empty, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and you, you get the sense that the coroners were behind, like, spreading the false information for some reason, just kind of based on Serial being there. And, and, you know, obviously the relationship the two of you have had and the information you've sent her so far has all been w- one way for the most part. Mm-hmm. She's given some things back to you, like the name, the corners. Yeah. <laughs> but you don't know much about them beyond that. Oh, in, in response. Yeah, look, I am not from this land. I am, I am working a job. I hold no, you know, ingrained loyalty to the Duns. And in fact, I'm being paid by someone else to sort of look out for them, as it were. So if you think I am the enemy, I probably am not. I just, I'm trying to send some money home. Roll a persuasion check. Uh, 19. Okay. He kind of gives you a long look. So you're saying you are working for someone else and pretending to work for the Duns. More or less. Okay. Well, he seems to be thinking things over. Roll an intelligence check. Yeah, there's so many intelligence checks for this guy. <laughs> there's no mm-hmm, intelligence. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> ah, that's a five. Yeah, you get the sense that these guys feel a bit over their head in what's going on. They do look hard, at least the guy in front of you, does look like he's been in some battles you know, in scrapes, but certainly like, you know, his, his, the gear he has doesn't seem all that great. He seems overly hungry and whatnot. So <laughs> they got to be in this situation where he's like interrogating, essentially what he's realizing is a spy, mm-hmm. like a high, <laughs> what he might think is a high level spy. Certainly in that regard, you get the sense that these guys are over their head. Mm-hmm. I guess I should have had you roll insight for that. So if you want to actually add your wisdom, okay. It would be a plus four if it was off inside, so it would be a nine. Okay. With nine, you get the sense that these guys are just kind of like a scouting party for whatever they're working for. Mm-hmm. And yeah, didn't necessarily expect to find anyone. I'm on here on a job for someone else who's not the Duns, but don't know if I can say who that is. And I'm already taking way too long away from the camp that they're going to get suspicious because I have to go back clean as it is. So I really don't need any more holdups. And I, I will take a step towards him. Not in like a ready to fight way, just a please get out of my way way. Um, okay. Uh, wait, wait, wait. Brile will know what to do with you. Our, our leader, he'll, he'll know what to do. You, you come with us. We do need to tie you up for it. We didn't. You're not going to tie me up. And I don't want to be away from the camp for too long. So you can get your leader to come here and meet me while I do something else. Or I'm not going. What do you want to roll with this? I'll give you a choice between persuasion or intimidation. If you're kind of like, you know, trying to use your like 
I'm a big imposing guy. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> like, don't fuck with Definitely me. want to be imposing, so I'll go with intimidation. Okay. Yeah, roll intimidation. That's a, that's a 10. <laughs> okay. You see him, like, trying to, like, work things out. <laughs> like, figure out, like, okay, this guy says he's, like, a spy. <laughs> uh, he's, he, he read you, you know, he's he seems sincere about it. But also, he feels like he probably has to do some sort of thing to uh, help his cause. And you won't come with us? Not willingly. All right. He grabs his sword and says, just knock him out. We got to take him back to the camp. Roll initiative. That's him sighing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that is a 21. All right. You will act first. (laughs) Okay. So I've got a guy in front of me. Got a left, got a right. And I can Mm -hmm. only see the one in front of me. You can see the guy to your right, like the guy who's sneaking up. Like you haven't really looked at him, um, right? Because you've probably just been staring at the guy. But you saw him out of the corner, right? You know exactly where he is. Okay, okay. I'm not gonna pull out my sword because they're not intending to kill me. Um, okay. So I will just punch this guy in front of me <laughs> in a way that. Hopefully it hurts him enough that it scares them all. But yeah, make an attack roll. 13. 13. As you go to hit him, he holds up his shield and just kind of deflects your punch. Mm. And like pretty well too. Like not just like a holding it up, right? And like, yeah. but like it, timed well. You, you know, you get the sense from that that this guy like, while obviously not maybe the best fighter in the world, does seem to have some competency in this. Mm-hmm. I'll give him a nod of respect while I punch him again. Go for the punch again. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Roll the hit. That's a natural one. Yeah, this one, you swing over his head. Uh, he kind of ducks and goes around you, and you kind of trip forward. I need you to make a deck saving throw. Oh, this is so embarrassing for a man of his size. That's a 12 on the saving throw. Okay. 12 is going to be enough. You kind of get your hand in the dirt and are able to, like, not be prone. Okay. But I'm going to say that, like, between running up to him and this trip, that uses all your movement. Okay, that's fair. Okay. Uh, I only get two attacks on this action surge, right? True, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah so I'll, like, very ashamedly dust myself off, and that'll be the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You uh, hear the bowstring get pulled back a little further and then arrow loose at you. Uh, does a nine hit. No. <laughs> Didn't think so. Uh, okay. Uh, that's him. As the other guy who was sneaking up on you, like as you move forward, he kind of like runs after you. You see he has a club in his hand and he's going to swing at you. He's actually going to make two swings at you. Uh, first is an 11. Nope. So that'll miss. Uh, second though is a... 23. Yeah, that's going to hit. All right. Uh, So you take six points of bludgeoning damage as you just feel like a club hits you in the back. Uh, And then, yeah, the one who's in front of you is going to swing his sword at you. Not like necessarily, you you know. Yeah. (laughs) He seems like kind of to be trying to tire you out more than like stab at your eyes yeah. sort of thing but yeah try I and mean, they seem like they're trying to at the very least knock you out and if that 
leads to your death. It is what it is, but hopefully not, you know? <laughs> that is going to be an 18 to hit. No, that does not hit. Oh, fuck. These high these high armored plate male fighters. Fuck. <laughs> uh, and then his second is a 15, so that'll miss as well. He's going to make a third attack at you. Uh, that's a 25. Yeah, that's, that's going to hit. Uh, you take eight points of slashing damage as he kind of like, uh, you know, slices at your kneecaps a bit. Okay. Well, seeing that they're serious, <laughs> I'm going to pull out my greatsword. Okay. <laughs> and my intimidation punch failed miserably, so... Yep. <laughs> I will pull out the greatsword and take a step towards the shield guy and mm-hmm. swing at him. Okay. Uh, roll to hit. Reminder, you do have great weapon master if, if you call before the roll. You minus five to your attack and get plus ten to damage, just so you remember that. Okay, good to know. What'd you roll? Fifteen. Uh, Fifteen will... You know, he deflected the punches well enough. In this one, he's able to get his shield up just in time to kind of glance off, uh, glance this blow off. As it's like deflected, I'll use that to come down on him with another swing of the great sword. Okay. Okay, that's so much better. That's twenty-five. That twenty-five will hit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and for damage, oh, max roll. <laughs> Sixteen. Nice. nice. Yeah, you uh, bring it down and hit him hard. Um, you know, he's still looking fine, uh, but, like, he now seems to be taking it even more seriously than before as, like, you get this kind of big cut along his arm as you bring the sword down. And I will action surge okay. <laughs> to hit the guy with the club. Okay. So that is uh, 26. Nice, yeah. Damage, that's 11. And just as finished doing that, I will say once again, you don't want this. And that'll be my turn. Okay. Roll an intimidation check at disadvantage. Yeah. It's two fours. (laughs) Nine. From their perspective, it is three on one. They just did a bunch of damage. You look like an idiot trying to punch him twice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, fair Uh, enough. They're still going at. Uh, The archer is going to take a shot at you. That does a 10 hit. New. (laughs) Okay. The guy with the club is going to make his attack. Uh, That's a uh, 22 to hit. Yes, that will hit. That is uh, five damage. Ooh, right. And then, yeah, the the shield guy will take his three attacks on you. Uh, That is a 24 to hit. Man, okay, yep. (laughs) It's kind of banking on being beefy. Six damage. Okay, okay. All right. 19 to hit. To so my AC. That is my AC. That hits, right? Yeah, so that'll hit. Okay. Seven damage. Fuck. Okay. Okay. And then an 18, which will miss. Okay. Whew. All right, you're up. Suddenly taking this a lot more seriously. Bliss his <laughs> mind. He was thrown off by how inexperienced everyone looked. Definitely underestimated them. So with great weapon fighting, I get a minus five to the roll, but a plus ten on the attack. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm gonna do that with my greatsword to the club guy. Okay. 
that is a 27. So minus five. Minus um, five, 22. Yeah. That will hit. (laughs) (laughs) For damage, 11 plus 10, so 21. Yeah, you hit him hard. (laughs) It like buries into his leg and he like yells out. Uh, He is still up, but he's looking pretty bad. And then from there, I will attack the shield guy normally. Okay. Oops, no, wrong one. That's a 17. Uh, 17 will hit. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> oh, 16 damage. Is that max damage again? Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. All right. He is still up, but he's starting to look worse for wear. I'm not going to say it again. Stop. <laughs> and then uh, I'll roll be... just a base intimidation check. 20. Not a natural 20, just a 20. 20. Uh, yeah, as you just bring out this huge swing, hitting one of them in the leg, and he's like yelling out, uh, and then a nice big hit on the other, he kind of looks, and you see him kind of, he's, this whole time, he's just trying to run through this weird scenario <laughs> he's found himself in, and you get the sense, it's this thinking of like, oh, this is a fight where someone dies. Mm-hmm. There's not a way for us to take him alive because he will kill someone before that can happen. Like, you know, he's like, maybe we'll be able to knock him out, but one of us will die first. (laughs) Uh, And he might die too. And you see him step back, hold up his hands. Stop shooting. Stop shooting him. Okay. I do understand. Didn't want to have to do that. Hated that. Um, Are you ready to Tell me everything. Who's your leader? Soldier named Brill. He was one of the Corteen guards for a while, and uh, he's been leading some freedom fighters to fight against the Duns. Okay. Well, you guys have sent me back a lot, but it's given me a good excuse to be late, because now I'm a little bit hurt. So that's all right. Um, look, I don't really understand whatever it is you know that you guys have against the Duns a lot of people seem to hate them um Brill said he saw Dun soldiers killing people at the capital on the day of the Autumn Sun Festival they were murdering innocent people murdering Kingsguard said he saw it with his own eyes I do that's pretty bad um (laughs) they pay me well And I'm sending that, you know, back to where I'm from. Like I said, I am working for someone else. And I'm actually on a job for them right now while everyone at the camp is sleeping. He gives a nod. Can you tell us where this camp is? (sighs) You promised me you won't do anything stupid? Yes. Because if you guys go in there, you will die. This information I'm going to pass back on to Brill. Okay. Is Brill stronger than you? Uh, <laughs> you hear like a little bit of laughter from the archer. He's <laughs> like the only one from this scrap who like didn't get their <laughs> shit <laughs> fucked up. Uh, and, and like the guy with the shield yells at, are you shut up, Bryson? You didn't do shit. You're just standing back there popping arrows. Yes, Brill's stronger than us. He's trained by the Cortian army himself. You'll know what to do with information. Just don't, you know, make yourself known to the camp because you will probably die. 
If you can promise me that, then I will tell you. Yeah, I promise we won't make ourselves known to the camp. Not just you, Brill as well. Yes, Brill will know what to do. He's smart at these things. Inside check that. <laughs> it's a six. <laughs> yeah, it seems like Brill will know what to do. He must be smart at these types of things. Yeah, this Brill guy seems fantastic. Okay. It is from the main road a couple of miles west. I got that right, didn't I? Yeah. Oh, yes. Uh, where are they heading? Home, as far as I know. Okay. Good to know. Now, can you let me finish my job? Yeah, he walks over to the club guy, <laughs> kind of like helps him up and like helps him limp away. S- sorry about that. It's all right. Long live the Bennets. No idea what that means. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just like, I just, I'm just trying to make money. Like, <laughs> people I don't care like- about the Bennett. <laughs> yeah, uh, and they kind of start stepping away. Okay. I'll get back on my horse and my torch on and try and follow my instructions again. My yeah. own instructions. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you felt pretty good about it and felt like you had gotten past the hard part, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're like, I got past the part that I was a little iffy on. And from here, you feel like you have it decently well. So yeah, you continue along, slowly trotting, you know, a little beat up, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not feeling the best, but <laughs> you certainly had it worse. And yeah, after a little while, your light shines into an oval-shaped clearing uh, where you see a little pond. At the moment, there's a deer drinking from it and it kind of like looks over at you uh, and sees your light and then hops away alright um, at this point I'm gonna try and identify the bit of dirt I dug up before I can't think of mm-hmm. what disturbed the disturbed bit of ground mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah and then when I identify it I'm gonna turn off my torch and use my hands to dig through yeah, I mean, it's easy enough to find, uh, you know, it's not like you had to disturb some grass. So I, I'm sure Barden put like a few leaves by it mm-hmm. <laughs> to make it a little more inconspicuous. But yeah, you, you certainly know where it is. And yeah, you just start digging with your hands. Mm-hmm. Roll a s- athletics check. That is a 16. Okay. Yeah, you, you dig with your hands. You know, it's a little while after you're scraping the top. It does take a while. I mean, I imagine you're not, you're not digging the full like three foot by three foot <laughs> that you did before, just enough to disrupt it. It does still take a fair bit longer of, of moving this dust. And you're definitely kind of feeling the wear and tear of the day, mm-hmm. uh, you know, having a full day. And then it's kind of starting to get late in the night and you're doing this labor uh, all wear, <laughs> while wearing your plate. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of just clanking <laughs> along. So it, it takes you a little while to get through it dirt is under your fingers and then yeah pull out the parcel i'll put the parcel in the you know the carry on my horse and at this point i will wash my hands in the little pond try and get them as clean you know wash my face off make it look like i attempted some kind of bath yeah you go put your hands and you feel like the cool water you know wash the dirt from under your fingernails Splash it on your face, your arms a bit. It's refreshing. And while you're doing that, you hear a voice from behind you, a familiar one. Fancy seeing you here. Just the voice. <laughs> turn around, stand up. You turn and you see Barden standing by the horse. Hey, Barden. Came for a bath. 
Long way for a bath. I couldn't find anywhere else, you know. Yeah, didn't want to get lost. This is where I knew somewhere was. He looks at the hole you dug up. Uh, yeah, it was, I was uh, admiring my excellent hole digging skills and wanted to give it another go. You lied to me a week ago. When you came back from the job, you said you didn't find anyone. You didn't find anything. Did I? I don't remember lying. Oh, you're not very good at it, so... Why'd you dig up my package? You know, you didn't tell me what was in it, and I was just really dying to know. Oh, I can show you. He, uh, goes to the side of your horse, the carrier, pulls out the package, unwraps it, and you see it's just a wooden box that he opens, um, and nothing's inside. Mm-hmm. Who are you working for, Blister? I work for you, Biden. Who are you working for, Blister? Okay. What, before I tell you this, what's going to happen to me? I don't know yet. Okay. All I know is you lied to me, and then you came here after I obviously wanted to bury something, and you thought it'd be a good idea to dig it up because you wanted to know what it is? Yeah. What do you think happens next? Uh, probably exile, I'm hoping, maybe. <laughs> Who do you work for? Okay, look, on the job that you sent me, I met someone, they didn't really tell me who they were or what they wanted, but they offered some money to send back some information about what you were doing and you know I am a mercenary I work for money so I thought it would be nice to send a little bit extra home he uh, gives you a long look <laughs> I need you to make a wisdom saving throw uh oh that's an 18 <laughs> yeah unfortunately that is a fail uh, <laughs> 18 actually fails thought so um <laughs> Without like even being able to resist it, you start to see kind of images popping up. The sending stone, Serial's face, her little tattoo that she showed, the right triangle. I mean, why didn't you do that when you suspected me of lying in the first place? Because I wanted you to have trust in me, and I figured poking around your brain was a bad way to do it. With spells like this, it's hard to conceal it. And I figured if you were loyal to me and caught on to it, you wouldn't be so happy. So I found a different way to see whether or not you'd betray me. Guessing I didn't do a good job. No. I've paid you more than what you've asked for. I've treated you well. Why would you do this? Why does anyone do anything? There's always more money to be had. Kind of gives you a long look. Uh, roll an insight check. Uh-oh. 17... Yeah, you know, as always, like, Barden is a hard-to-read person. You do feel like you notice something on his face that you haven't really seen it all the time knowing him, which is, like, like actual, like, feeling hurt. You know, he usually covers himself in aloofness, but here you can see he seems a little hurt by what's happened. That makes Blister feel bad just a little bit. <laughs> Despite everything he's heard about Barden, I think seeing someone, like, feel betrayed by his actions makes him, like, you know, 
He feels it. Look, I, I, I don't really know what to say other than it wasn't really anything against you because you've always treated me well. I know that. It's just what would you expect from a mercenary? <laughs> we work for the highest bidder. Give me the stone. Do that. I have a question though. How did you know I was here? This was all a trap for you to see what you would do. Well, yeah, I know that. He snaps his fingers and like disappears. I can turn invisible. (laughs) I've been waiting. Came out, wanted to see what you would do. Snaps again. It's back in front of you. That's great. I mean, I've seen some cool magic, but that was some cool magic. Anyway, um, I'll get the stone out and give it to him. He takes it and uh, looks at it and then puts it in his pocket. I'm sorry, pardon. My brothers would say to kill you. You see his finger twitch. It's within my right to do it. He takes a long breath. The greatest fortune you will ever have is that I am not my brothers. Never let me see your face again. And he turns and uh, walks to the horse and starts leading it away. In his mind, he's like, fuck, I wanted that horse. <laughs> well, for a couple minutes, Bliss is just going to sit in this pond and actually wash himself this time and not just like fake wash himself for the sake of keeping up an appearance at the camp. All the while evaluating how rash he was <laughs> and how bad he is at this particular subset of skills. Now, leave the clearing. How far from the clearing was the little scrap I hit? Like a mile, probably. It was a decent ways. Do I still have my torch? Yeah, yeah. Okay. You would have left it. Barton would not have like picked it up. Okay, yeah. I'll take my torch and make my way back to that part of the bush. Okay. What do you want to do there? I would like to see if I can find the tracks of the people who I had a fight with. Yeah, uh, roll a survival check. Fuck, that is a nine. <laughs> There's a lot of tracks. You know, you do find a pretty obvious path of like some blood that was dripping along, but it seems like the guy who you had cut up pretty bad, like they put him next to a tree and tried to wrap him up. And from there, you kind of lose the tracks. You know, it's dark. And it's hard to tell. And it's like, it is late now, isn't it? Mm-hmm. At this point, very tired. Snub out his torch. And just like lean, probably against the same tree that he saw the, the tracks die out at. And just try and rest and sleep without thinking about what's next. Just kind of sad. And very scared. Yeah. You uh find a spot all all on your own, thinking about your time as a spy, how you weren't exactly cut out for it, <laughs> and the goodwill you've built up, whether it be with Barden or Serial, seems to be disconnected or completely shattered in this moment. And yeah, you sit, and eventually sleep takes you. And I think that's where we're going to end this session. Oh, man. Oh, man. (laughs) I 
that like that was fun. That was a lot of fun that session. <laughs> I had a great time. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I'll be honest. Ending it there, I feel like some part three vibes. Yeah, trilogy. Uh, I don't know. The blister trilogy. A trilogy. I do feel like there are some interesting things uh, that could happen. Yeah, a depressing end uh, <laughs> to this one. It definitely has the feeling of like the Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. Like, right, you're ending with everything is like yeah. <laughs> bad for Blister. Yeah, you know, I, I feel like, you know, I feel like part three question mark. Oh, hell yeah. Uh, which is not so much of a question mark. I'm sure, I'm sure we'll do it. <laughs> um, I, well, Mitch, <laughs> thanks for playing this interesting, very um, cat and mouse RP heavy episode. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> of which the events were set in motion very much by a failed role uh, <laughs> at the end of the last yeah. one. There is a lot for us to talk about in terms of how things went and how things could have gone mm-hmm. um, in that conversation with Barton. That I, I'm interested because uh, you responded to things in a certain way where I felt like yeah, this would lead Barton to feel this way and act in, in the way he ended up doing opposed to other things that I kind of planned, oh <laughs> like, you know, there are always going to be options and different things, but I definitely had some other thoughts of how it could have gone. Yeah. But yeah, we will be talking about that in the post show and after the roll. So if you're interested in hearing uh, us discuss this episode, check out patreon.com slash once upon a roll for all things after show. Hell yeah. Mitch, thank you for joining me <laughs> on, on this uh sad somewhat lonely uh <laughs> adventure of blister as he blows up all of his relationships oh yeah no that was that was a lot of fun um not really done a lot of the rp heavy stuff so it was mm-hmm. <laughs> it was interesting to go down that route with yeah. blister and what what would it be without me making something sad <laughs> <laughs> true true yeah i think um what i definitely like was you having Blister try to take on this role as a spy when he's not that. Yeah. Uh, and I think that ended up being great. And he's just so bad at it <laughs> that like this guy who is kind of a low key genius, like is like, yeah, okay, we're going to see what happens here. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, we will have to talk about it more in the post show. Uh, for all of you still listening, thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed it. And yeah, Look, there's going to be more Blister episodes. It just is what it is. Hell yeah. Uh, blister part three. Blister, bliss, uh, I, I don't have any more puns. But anyway, uh, <laughs> thank you all so much for listening. I hope you have a great day and her night. And I will see you in the next thing. Uh, bye. Bye. And now is that time again to check in with the heroes of Cortia. First, there is Keelan Damari, a mountain dwarf contracted to find and kill a small dragon. After returning to the last place he saw it, he noticed a plume of smoke at the base of a ravine, so he climbed down and walked over to it. As he approached, he noticed a halfling woman donned in armor sitting next to the fire. He scanned the camp, and it seemed like she was alone. In an effort not to spook her, he put his hands up and called out from a distance. Hello! The halfling woman shot up and looked over at him, quickly grabbing her mace. She squinted as she glanced towards Keelan, and then yelled back, Hello? Still with his hands over his head, Keelan said, I'm looking for a dragon. She set down her mace and called back, I'm looking for my friend. Come sit. 
And so Keelan walked over to the fire and met Kalia, a paladin of Timora. Next, we have Oceanus Waverly, a merfolk bard licking their wounds after becoming shipwrecked. As they slept beneath the waves, their dreams were filled of days back home. Mostly of their family saying not to go to the unsailed horizon, to stay in waters that were known. But of course, Oceanus didn't listen. After a start, they awoke with the words of their family ringing in their head. They couldn't help but feel now that they should have listened. But it was too late. Oceanus looked up and saw the sun shining through the surface. The water seemed calm, so they gingerly floated up to take a look. The sky was beautiful, blue as the water itself, with the sun beaming down. Oceanus rotated around to get a lay of the land, or rather, the lack of land. It was water as far as they could see. They watched the sun move in the sky, but realized that regardless of knowing which direction was which, they would have no way of knowing where any land would be. So, the water would have to decide. They floated on their back, letting the waves push and pull them, and after a handful of minutes, flipped on their stomach and began to swim. Then there is Pumpkin, a forest gnome running a detective agency in Bellin who has been brought in for questioning by the man she's been investigating, Captain Braggart, the Lord's Guard, a man suspected of being the Clearwater Killer. Surprisingly, though, his focus didn't seem to be on having her arrested or anything of that nature. It was to give her a job. I have no doubt that you have heard of the Clearwater Killer by now. Pumpkin did everything in her power not to give anything away. Of course, who hasn't? Braggart stood and walked towards a board in the back of his office. We've been tracking this killer for a good while now, but whoever it is, is crafty. An impeccable ability of not getting caught or leaving anything behind that they didn't intend to. He reached for a piece of paper on the board and pulled it off. We've put many resources into solving this, but our jurisdiction only goes so far. Walking back to the desk, he set down a paper and slid it to Pumpkin. There is a man in Lens who has claimed to have information on the killer. I can't send any of my men to follow the claim as we are short-staffed as it is and would step on the toes of the city guard of Lens. However, I could send someone like you. Pumpkin looked at the paper and then back at Captain Braggart, not knowing if she actually had any choice in the matter. Next is Kay Favrock, a rogue who has seen more hardship in her lifetime than many encounter throughout ten. Really, all she has ever known is trouble, although that trouble has come with a lot of lessons. Lessons that have made her the capable woman she is today. As she walked through the glade, she instinctively brushed her hand against her ear. No matter how long it had been, she had never gotten used to the rounded edges of them. The scar from when she cut them was small, but her fingers still lingered on it nonetheless. She had tried to leave everything behind her family, her ancestry. But there are some things that can't be shaken. And now, more capable than ever, she knew it was time to go back. Back to find her family. Back to find her brother. And so she continued through the glade, looking for a way to get back to where she had once fled. The Feywild. Following that, we have Vern, a half-elven life cleric who has just been strong-armed by a mysterious man with a knife to follow him down a passageway below the city of Teltwith. As he moved into a brightly lit room, the man with the knife closed the door behind him. In the room were five people, one of whom was lying on a bed with a bandage wrapped around their chest with dark red bloodstains on it. Vern knew that that sort of wound wasn't the type you just bandage. Without a word, he walked over to the figure on the bed. She was human, looked to be in her thirties, although had enough scars for a full lifetime. After taking a quick glance, he said, I need water, a blade, a hot flame, and any bandages you have left. The figures all looked at him for a moment and then towards the man with the knife. Then in a soft, weak voice that still carried across the room, the woman on the bed said, Do it. 
and the other figures jumped to it and began grabbing supplies and setting them next to Vern. He took a deep breath and made a quiet prayer to his goddess, although he knew that in this moment he'd need to perform without any of her powers. Then we have Virgil Bowerstone, a hill dwarf life cleric who has recently learned that the mysterious book he found in the lair of an abolith belonged to a former celestial named Orion, who was banished for leaving mortals with a book that foretold of the end of the world. Virgil took a long look at the tome, and then an even longer one at his mentor, Dom. So what do we do with it, he said. Dom gave the book another glance. We must destroy it. There is a danger to knowledge of this type. If it were to fall in the wrong hands, it could be used in terrible ways, bring chaos to the world as Orion intended. I will seek counsel to figure out how it can be destroyed. Until then, you can stay here in the temple and watch over it. Virgil nodded as Dome rose and threw a cloak over herself. I will be back at dawn. She exited swiftly, leaving Virgil alone looking at the book. He understood what Dome was afraid of, but he couldn't help but wonder... If people knew how the world was to end, couldn't they do something to stop it? Isn't that what the goddess Sune would want, to continue the beauty of everything? To continue the beauty of the world? The book didn't need to be destroyed, it needed to be understood. And Virgil could be the one to understand it. Lastly, we have Emmanuel Villop, a private eye working a case in the Color District, who in the hopes of getting some more information about a string of robberies, started doing a job for the bartender of the Loose Side Love. Just a simple tracking job, to see what one of the bar's regulars does for his business. Emmanuel found a seat in the tavern and nursed a whiskey until nightfall. He watched as people came in and out and back in again to pick up something they left behind or get one more drink. And then after a few hours of waiting, a dwarven man walked in. Emmanuel gave a quick look at the bar, and Darum, for just a moment, locked eyes and gave a small nod, confirming that this was the guy. And so, Emmanuel watched him. Throughout the night, seven different people came into the bar to talk with the dwarf. Each conversation ended with a nod and a handshake, and then leaving the place promptly. When the eighth person came in and ended the conversation in the same way, Emmanuel set down a few coins and stumbled out of the bar after them. And that's all for now. Along with the heroes of Cortia, I'd also like to thank the citizens of Allhearth, who are dealing with one of the most consequential votes they've had so far. Those expected at the meeting are Adustus, Ethan Hill, Fadouge, Grizzly Melon, Jack Weird, Yoakum Dahlquist, Merrick 16, Ming, Nursebone, Phil Emarg, Preston Metters, Ruka, Seth Flores, Travis Croats, and Zach Smith. May you make the right choice. Anyway, hope you have a great day, and or night. I'll see you in the next one.